I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, an artist and psychoanalyst based in Sweden who works with people internationally, and this is episode 257 of Rendering Unconscious Podcast. My guests today are Emily Rousseau and Mary Wilde. They're here to talk about their new books and upcoming courses, and we also get into the poetry of Jim Morrison, cinema, psychoanalysis, philosophy, and culture. Emily Rousseau is a writer and astrologer. Her poetry and writings on film and visual art have appeared in many venues, including Art Forum, Granta, Compact, and the Los Angeles Review of Books. She's the author of several books of poetry. Her newest book, Magenta, can be found on her website, emilyrousseau.com. That's E-M-M-A-L-E-A-R-U-S-S-O.com. You can follow her at Instagram and check out her courses, Alchemy of the Word, which is available anytime on demand, Metaphysical Poetry, which begins August 22nd, and Void of Courses, The Signs, which begins August 27th. Links to everything can be found at renderingunconscious.org. Mary Wilde is the host of the Projection Series held at the Freud Museum London, as well as co-host of Projections Podcast. You can join Mary at Patreon, where she creates exclusive content every week. That's patreon.com forward slash Mary Wilde, M-A-R-Y-W-I-L-D. She contributed the foreword to my latest book, an edited collection on psychoanalytic perspectives of the films of Ingmar Bergman, From Freud to Lacan and Beyond, published by Rutledge earlier this year. You can follow her at Twitter and Instagram at Psychstar, P-S-Y-C-S-T-A-R. You can check out her upcoming Freud Film Club screenings at the Freud Museum London, September 2nd, Melancholia, September 3rd, Rebecca, September 5th, The Shining, September 7th, Medea, and September 8th, Nightmare on Elm Street. You can also join Mary and I this Sunday, August 20th, for an online talk via Morbid Anatomy Museum on The Decaying Female Body in Horror Cinema. Visit morbidanatomy.org events and or psychartcult.org for details. Again, links to everything can be found in the liner notes accompanying this episode and at renderingunconscious.org. Rendering Unconscious is a labor of love that I put together with no support from outside sources. All support comes from the listeners and fans, and I make all episodes of Rendering Unconscious available, streaming on all the major podcasting platforms. I don't post any content uh, exclusively on the Patreon that, that has to do with the podcast. I don't hide anything behind paywalls in that way. I want all of the information available to everyone. 
That being said, I do appreciate support from fans and listeners and guests of Rendering Unconscious Podcast. I do my best to spread the word about psychoanalysis and beyond, and it's really nice to see people support me back in return. You can support the podcast at our Patreon, patreon.com, Vanessa23Carl. You can also join Substack. Substack is vanessa23carl.substack.com. Carl and I do write about our creative practices and magical work once a week at our Patreon and Substack for $5 a month and up. You get access to that. Your support of Rendering Unconscious podcast means the world and also helps to support my other creative work. So thank you to our Patreon community. You can also follow me on social media at rawsin underscore at Twitter and Instagram and Dr. Vanessa Sinclair 23 at TikTok. All right. So where do we want to begin, ladies? Do we have any ideas? Do we start with Emily and the crazy book debacle? Do we start with Mary's book? Do we start with other things? (laughs) (laughs) I'm easy. I will edit this part out. (laughs) Yeah, we we could talk about our We talk about Jim Morrison. (laughs) We're definitely going to talk about Jim, right? Definitely. Yes. I mean, on the topic of Jim, have, am I right in thinking that you both have been to his grave in Paris? Okay. I have not. I've been to Paris, but I don't, I did not go to his grave. Oh my gosh. I have been once before. Um, but yeah, it's quite something. Like I mean, I was even reading 30. that like, it's, it's, it's pro- something like one of the most popular tourist destination in Paris oh my god yeah I think I think that's right (laughs) incredible yeah absolutely um I'm super into him like I said this this book this woman Anna Leone wrote where she like does his natal chart and then talks about his life based on his natal chart and it's coming out on Chapar soon and ever since wow. I read this book, I'm like re-obsessed. It's like it ignited my high school obsession. And yeah, <laughs> he's just so good. Everything he sings is good. His poetry is amazing. I want to see his films because he did a few films. Yeah. I didn't know until I read her book that he was like a a film student, which just makes sense and is super cool. His poetry is super cinematic, his lyrics. So yeah, I'm on a gym kick this year. And I love that we were chatting on the full moon that was his death day and he didn't realize. Oh, of course, <laughs> that's right. And he's from Florida like you, Vanessa. He is from Florida. So there are some good people from Florida. <laughs> <laughs> they all get yeah. out though, you know. We're like, help, get us out of here. Yeah, totally. And <laughs> he's born in a little town right where my dad lives uh, on the east coast and then he grew up in Clearwater Florida with his grandparents and I lived in Clearwater for I don't know maybe half a year or nine months or something when I was okay. like 19 it's where the big Scientology center is or church or whatever 
um, in Clearwater, Florida. So it's like Clearwater is like an island, and uh, and so you're like driving down this like long causeway, it's like this really long island. Never been to Florida. Yeah, one day, one day I will take you around Florida. <laughs> it's fun to visit. And the yeah. end of Clearwater is like a, got a beach and this like giant Scientology church. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he's from down there. And they actually, when I went there, Carl wanted to see the Scientology church when I took him around Florida. And um, it, it's so eerie down there, of course. And and like totally empty of any character or people with personalities. It's weird. It's like walking zombies. But anyway, uh, they've got like lots of gym like paraphernalia around because he's like live like right in that area where the church was. Amazing. Yeah. Wild, but he got out. I always thought that he was from LA, but he wasn't. He's from Florida. Yeah, I guess he's so connected to LA, isn't he? Like in his songs and his persona, I suppose, as a performer. Yeah, exactly. The persona he created to get the fuck out of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> we have to do that. Yeah. It's hard to own. Yeah, his poems are so, so Californian and cinematic and alchemical. I think the last lines of this book are July 24th, 1968, Los Angeles, United States, Hawaii. Mm. Oh, July 24th is just yesterday. Yeah. That's interesting, too. <laughs> yeah, that's how he closes it out. Interesting. Very interesting. I got this. I cut up the, the small paperback that I sent you both, and I bought this gigantic hardbound collected works where they have actual, like, facsimiles of like journal pages and stuff like that and song lyrics and mm. yeah but I kind of love the little paperback but now what are your, my cut up yeah. poems what are your favorite lines from his poems I'm curious to know each of yours oh I don't know if I could pick favorites well, I, I like, go ahead no, I just feel like I've cut them all up now, so now I don't know what belongs to what. <laughs> but whenever they come out of my cut-up box, I'm like, oh, it's Jim. Um, and they always have such a great, yes, it's such a paint, paints such a great scene. They're always like these like dark, dirty cinemas, like when cinemas used to be like, I don't know, more cinematic and like have more of an atmosphere. Yeah. Um, and there's always like on the streets with like, yeah, people that are at, out at night kind of vibe. So he always adds like a great kind of character to the cut up poems when his lyrics come out. Yeah, there's something actually I was thinking about this in his poems that even when he's talking about a city, there is a kind of like, <laughs> like desolation and emptiness and hauntedness, which I actually think you really feel in L.A. It's like it can feel like a strangely empty city. Hmm. And, I'll tell and you, I yes, feel that I just, in Florida too. No, totally. And I because everyone's indoors, up, you know. Yeah, because it's too hot. I just <laughs> opened up this giant book and did a little bibliomancy, where I just picked a random page, and it's apparently from the book La America or the poem La America, and uh, the lines are: "The Vikings and explorers, discoverers, the unconscious." Mm. Nice. that's a good one for us. amazing I, 
just turn to I'm I'm like I love how he talks about film and he oftentimes will like blend and I I feel like I do this too I feel like a weird kinship with the way he talks about cinema as being like sort of not preceded by painting but by alchemy and and like tarot cards and stuff Mm -hmm. Um, and on this page I just turned to he says films are collections of dead pictures which are given artificial insemination <laughs> film That's spectators great. are quiet vampires so he has like zen cohen's on this on weird grotesque cinema stuff it's good that's so cool yeah it's perfect that's a perfect one mm-hmm. yeah it, it, it makes me think of the line also from the book the voyeur is masturbator the mirror his badge the window his prey mm. So good. So good. Yeah, he talks a lot about the like the sort of weird violence of seeing mm. and looking. Yeah, exactly. Like camera as all seeing God, he kills with injurious vision, you know, these all these sorts of like line, like weird invasive lines of sight. Totally. Yeah. You know, like a peeping tom. Yeah, and I think if most cinephiles were speaking honestly, they would identify with that violence of looking. Like, the the gaze is not like a walk on the beach. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's something um, there's something primordial going on there, and he really understood that. Yeah, you totally. I totally agree with you. Um, I think. His his work seems to kind of oscillate between that the like hardness of looking in cinema and like clear images and the like kind of Dionysian like music ecstasy everything blending together and becoming liquid like so almost the difference between like doing the gazing and being devoured or being gazed at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yes. if he understood that, then that would help him build his persona. And what he projected. Mm. What are your thoughts on the Oliver Stone biopic? I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember liking it. But I was also like twenty, just like twenty years ago or something. Mm. We just I rebought just it, and I want to watch it again. Yeah, I just rewatched it during the pandemic, like twice, <laughs> and. <laughs> and I hadn't seen it since high school and I I sort of remember liking it you know it's such a vibe and so so I watched it and I was like I don't know how I'm gonna feel about it but I I ended up like totally loving it what do you think about it Mary yeah I I like it too I'm a fan I think it was well cast Mm -hmm. great director uh, obviously some fictionalized bits in there but I think when it comes to biopics I'm quite like comfortable with directors taking liberties telling a story about a person, you know, um, because so much of the biography is like a collaboration. It's not just, it's not a, it's not, it's never meant to be an historical account that verifies every event that happened. So much of it is also like the projections of the person making the biopic. Um, and it's like a combination of both. It's like fan fiction. Yeah, totally. It, It definitely, um, well, Val Kilmer is kind of mind blowing. <laughs> I know he's amazing, <laughs> and, and I think he sang. Didn't he sing it all himself? Yeah. 
Thanks. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that's like the guy who did Elvis saying all those songs too. Mm. Right. Yeah. I haven't actually seen the Elvis one though. Oh, you have to see it. Did you like it, Mary? Did you see yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I really liked it. I mean, it was really Aust- good. Austin Butler. Yeah. Like same level of brilliance. Um, dazzling playing Elvis the way that Val Kilmer was dazzling playing Jim Morrison. Really good. Mm. Yeah, I liked it a lot more than I expected to. I wasn't sure like how is Baslerman going to do Elvis, but he pulled it off. <laughs> yeah, he did. And you know what? I Only yesterday I found out that Sofia Coppola is releasing a new biopic about Priscilla Presley. Oh. When's that happening? It's coming out in October. Oh, oh my soon. God. Yeah. It's interesting to me. I'm going to definitely watch them. For sure. Um, yeah, I also have the controversial opinion that Val Kilmer is the best Batman. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> I feel like no one agrees with me. <laughs> no, I can I can understand why you would think that. Well, it's, it's like the mouth is good, you know. Yeah. As yeah. The mouth is before. good. Is that jawline? Is that jawline? (laughs) Yeah, no, I I can see where you're coming from. Um, because because to play Bruce Wayne, you have to have that kind of melancholic thing going on, and some of them just don't have it, you know. Like, I know you need like the sad, sultry mouth and energy, exactly, (laughs) exactly. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, the melancholy thing. I mean, Jim Morrison slash Val Kilmer definitely have, they have that in spades. Incredible. I mean, I'm just looking at stills of Val Kilmer as Jim Morrison. It's uncanny. They're like <laughs> twins. <laughs> yeah, that's it's true. Really Actually, and speaking of speak- right? Yes, it was. Yes. Such an interesting Meg Ryan moment. Yeah, unexpected. And actually, talking of doppelgangers of Jim, I actually have this theory that Michael Hutchins, the late, great Michael Hutchins of In Excess, had something like a Jim Mm -hmm. Morrison thing going on. And... I don't know. I yeah, mean, I think you're right. The energy. Yeah, it's that energy. It's that way of movement on the stage. Mm. This pure rock star persona, unapologetically, both very romantic artists, you know, extremely very young. You know what I mean? And they yeah. both had that incredible hair, like, oh, uh, yeah. I mean, don't get me started on Michael Hutchins. I'm so, I love him so much. Like, I was devastated when he died. I remember where I was. And oh, what wow. I was wearing, like I, I was, I was inconsolable when he died. I was pretty into Michael <laughs> Hutchins in high school, I must say. Yeah. I mean, how can you not be Devil Inside, Suicide Blonde? Exactly. Yes. So good. But yeah, I feel like they're soul brothers. They're like cut from the same cloth. Very similar style of artists. Who knew that Australia could produce somebody like Michael Hutchins? <laughs> Um, oh, yeah, there's like a lot of there's good people coming out of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> You're um, right. No shade whatsoever well, to your Australian listeners. Yeah, there's he does. A, there's another worldliness, Australia or anywhere on, 
on the planet, but there's, it is a rare kind of energy. And I'm trying to think if there's like a contemporary equivalent. Exactly. I mean, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm struggling to think of somebody now. I know. Um, <laughs> I don't know who like rock stars are right now. Like people that, yeah, I like rock stars like that. Right. I Nobody like that. I mean, they're, my favorite rock star right now would probably be Alex Turner of Arctic Monkeys, but he's like a twink. He's not like... Yeah, it's a twink, he, twink age. It's a twink age. Yeah, exactly. Like Timothy Chalamet age. and like, you know... Yeah, yeah Timothy <laughs> Chalamet is like a twink version of Michael Hutchinson Val yeah. Kilmer. <laughs> he's got like a skinnier, like little scrawnier version. Exactly. <laughs> yeah like we need There's like, not as much like libidinal energy with the timothy chalamets of the world no. no no exactly like they seem pretty um i don't know neutered. just yeah a little bit new <laughs> a little bit neutered <laughs> spayed and neutered um <laughs> yeah like yeah. where where are the like where are the unpredictable wild men who are like unhinged and super masculine and macho like where are they but that are amazing <laughs> poets yeah no like yeah where are the rimpo of, of today a lot of the poets are not, <laughs> not so hot i say that with a lot of <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but yeah i can't well, i mean really, poetry is too i feel like it's too intellectualized in some ways mm-hmm. a lot of poetry scenes yes like too much of like a i don't know conceptual with like con- same thing like with conceptual art it's just it's like, like the lacan of it where, all yeah where's the libido <laughs> where did, where'd it go bring it back right. agree <laughs> where's the <Agreed>. drive <laughs> i don't care about yeah i don't care about uh, academic blah blah i just want the drive or yeah. sensitivity it's it's like you know some, I think sometimes I don't trust guys who are like really into their own sensitivity or proud of it or something. Red flag. Red flag, right? <laughs> that means they need a mommy. Yeah. Who wants to be anybody's mommy? No, thank I just you. feel like these days, if they start saying that stuff, it's like a performative gesture to be yeah, like, yeah. "This yeah. is I'm a, a s- feminist." Yeah, or like, "This is a safe zone." You know, "This is a safe zone" or whatever, and it's like elevating or almost like fetish fetishizing safety. Um, whereas, mm. like, I feel like that's just a lie. You know, life is full of just the unknown and unpredictability and discomfort. And danger, like let's just be honest about that, you know. And meet meet in art, especially. Yes, ideally in art, like that should that should definitely be a place where it's no holds barred. Any, yeah, like if if someone is qualifying themselves as being an artist and then saying those kinds of the reassuring signifiers, mm-hmm. it just <laughs> immediately like makes me doubt, you know, what it is they're doing, like what is their agenda, you know. <laughs> Yeah, same. 100%. Well, also, you're, I mean, we're also supposed to, which is like Jim Morrison was doing this kind of persona and it was really elaborate and wild, but now we're really obsessed with authenticity and kind of like stating what 
you know, who you are up front as if that can be done. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, as if so you know. Peter's art for sure. Yeah. As if we know who we are. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I keep um, tuning into like different podcasts and um, I noticed this trend, uh, obviously pl- present company excluded, uh, but I, I keep noticing a trend where the guests come on and it's like genuflecting at the art, at the sort of genuflecting at the altar of identity. And it's yeah. like everyone has to like state everything like sexual orientation like gender race and it's like like I everything I know about those like superficial superficial layers of identity I'm learning against my will (laughs) right exactly why take on the kind of labels that the you know patriarchy or whatever you want to call it has put on you you know yeah yeah I don't I don't want to wear them I don't want to wear them Exactly. I don't, I don't claim those for myself. Like, and as you say, like psychoanalytically, you know, identity is, um, it's, it's a cesspit. Like we're not like, it, it shouldn't even be a goal to try and like absolutely know those categories. It's just a waste of time. It's much more productive and interesting to go with the flow and speak on a, speak at a level where we're interested in truly learning about each other not predetermining ourselves so like determinately I don't know yeah the otherness of the other and I think this is one reason like Jim Morrison and people like these sorts of energies are so attractive because they're illegible and unquantifiable and it's not you know Jim Morrison wasn't constantly telling us who, who he was in clear terms. I mean, that's like the point of poetry. You have to kind of, there's like a, an unreadability no matter how readable it is. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And of course there will be material moments where identity characteristics will be pertinent and that's fine. You know, those discussions can happen and it's okay, but it's like to almost like map out every, every single dialogue with that. It just, I don't know. I, I, I just, I view it with suspicion. <laughs> I actually yeah, haven't. So you're saying this happens at the beginning of podcasts where people, the guest comes on and, and, and says all those things. Yeah. About, and then, so that's essentially where the conversation begins. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It seems kind of counterproductive or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing because they end up talking about like nothing that is related to the identities (laughs) that they've just spent some time listing, but it's like become just this kind of like common courtesy or like social performance of, uh, you know, it's like, um, it's, it's, it's like a kind of, um, reassuring, call at the beginning to tell the other person that you're a moral individual by by participating in the act of listing your identities um yes it, it to- you're absolutely right it totally is a way to signify that you're like a good person <laughs> yeah. yeah but it, it, good guy it's amazing they don't even talk about any of that stuff it's so impertinent and yet they spent like a material <laughs> amount of time consciously doing it and it's like I still don't really understand like what this is. Like it's, it's, it's like distracting because you you're led to think it's going to be relevant and it's not. Mm. And it's also having, asking the audience or 
giving the audience these labels of you so they can make judgments on that right from the beginning before you even yeah. said anything. You know, so people, even if they're good judgments or whatever, it's still like, okay, these these are my labels. So now what are your judgments on me? You know, it's like, it's just like puts that out right in the beginning. There's a really good book called Gender Without Identity mm. that uh, Avi Sakatapulu and Anne Pellegrini just published. And um, they attack this exact issue. And it's really great. And actually, Avi also wrote another book called Sexuality Beyond Consent where she also talks about like all these consent rules and sexuality, like, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? And how you're supposed to like ask, can I kiss you now? Can I do this now? And it's like, you know, you don't even know what you want really when you're going into a sexual situation and you Mm -hmm. might like want your boundaries pushed and you might not or whatever, but it's like the whole point is like our unconscious and our sexuality are so intertwined that like, like we don't consciously, our ego doesn't know, we don't know what we want exactly. So it's kind of impossible to be like, I know what I want. This is what we're going to do ahead of time. And that like the whole thing with sexuality and like a partner or whatever, it's like you explore and like fear what the boundaries are and stuff like that. And like, uh, like a lot of is getting lost basically with like over consenting to things. And same thing with identity when you like label yourself, like, you know, maybe your your identity changes over time. Like maybe it's different around different people or especially with like gender and identity and sexuality. It's like, you know, there's periods where I've dated women or trans women, whatever. It's like, so then Mm -hmm. when you walk around, you know, it is interesting to see how different people treat you, like how different I'm treated when I walk around with Carl versus like an ex, you know? It's like people do treat you very differently depending on who you're partnered up with. Um, but it's also weird to think that you have to change your own identity based on who you're dating. Like it's a, it's, it's a strange kind of situation or system that we're in. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of inviting just presuppositions and stereotypes from the outset, as opposed to coming into a dialogue with the spirit of curiosity and learning through engagement rather than like predetermined labels. Yeah. It can actually be a rather like paranoid way to read, I think, because mm. then we're sort of looking for these things or, um, and then I think the natural consequence of this is then when we don't hear other people or ourselves or whatever, like making these, qualifications and quantifications and labels and titles we maybe like make us up like oh they must be x y or z you know we we judge them accordingly because they're not saying those things or uh, but the yeah that totally negates the, the kind of spontaneity of process just like being present with another person mm. yeah maybe there's also things that people don't want to share with everyone you know maybe they just yeah. keep parts of themselves <laughs> right. to <I> themselves mean- <laughs> You yeah. know, that doesn't mean that they're like a bad person, you know, they could, people can have their private lives. Yeah, or it's true. Afraid. Yeah, even or even not even like I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because like like this question of kind of what do we owe like the public or something like, you know, if we're online, do we or do we owe them like, you know, our political views or our view on X, Y or Z? 
topic, you know, um, because I've been asked to give, to give yeah. my, a lot of things and I, I don't know, you know, how I you feel about anybody, anything demands. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. It's been very interesting. Yeah, you're right. I mean, especially in the medium that you work in, like you write poetry. Um, it's just so, it's, it seems so antithetical to me that that degree of surveillance is pushed on you and you have to like state anything definitively. It's, it's just bonkers. Yeah. The surveillance thing is, is interesting because it like these sorts of surveillance ironically are like masquerading as liberatory or, or something or safety inducing or, you know, on the right side of history, but they're using the state's tools. Yeah. Yeah. That's a problem. <laughs> you can't police people. Right. Just because you think that your policing is on the right side. Right. Still policing. <laughs> and aren't you against policing? You know? Right. Or censorship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just so you shouldn't good censor practice. police people. Yeah. People have yeah. to work their shit out on their own. You know, let them figure it out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Figure your own shit out, you know? And, yeah. I, and honestly, most people doing finger pointing, just, they really should just look at themselves, you know? Like, why are you so you know, dead set upon tearing other people down or fucking shit up for other people or, yeah. you know, just like, you know, it's usually something, it's like the classic, like, why is this fucking old white politician care about trans kids or care about mm. gay people's, you know, taking away their rights? It's like, well, he probably has feelings of his own that he's not comfortable with and he's just projecting <laughs> and attacking, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's always the way. Like, it's much more convenient to scapegoat somebody else, which is always really a signpost for internal crisis and conflict. It, it's what it's much harder work to turn that critical gaze onto oneself and really like work through those issues. And it's so much more convenient to accuse and project. And it's like. I just, yeah, I, I just don't understand, like, how they don't see that that's so obvious. <laughs> yeah, or like this thing that happened to you, Emily, like, you're on a podcast with mm -hmm. someone or invited on a podcast, like, I'm not going to sit and research every podcast that invites me to talk or, you know, it's just like, why do I have to do that? You know, it's like, I have a conversation with people and it doesn't mean... And we're on the same side or we're best friends or something. It's like, you, why can't you just have conversations with people that you don't agree with, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that was my question. But um, also, I think what, what happened to me was interesting because I was sort of like asked to explain myself, you know, my reasons for X, Y, or Z, like being in some publication or talking to so-and-so. And I just sort of politely refused. But um, but that did not go over, you know, then it's like this this assumption was made. Oh, well, then then Emily must uh, believe the word, you know, she, it must be worst case scenario. She must be like a really bad <laughs> person because she's not say saying like this is what I believe and this is who I agree. Or just wow. Agree. Yeah, that's scary. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I'm online, like, whatever, I love Satan or whatever. So, like, <laughs> like where, where are they going to go from there, you know? So I feel like, good luck. 
<laughs> or like my friend Caitlin, you know, with like uh, people with giving her the evil eye and like the, you know, witch community and stuff, you know, people like trying to like do you harm. She's like, I'll just cut off my hair and mail it to them. Be like, just just try, you know, because like whatever. Uh, it's just a waste of their time. But it sucks that you end up getting a book pulled because of something like that. And a poetry book on uh, of all things. It's like, what does that have to do with any of this? Yeah. Well, the the more just more kind of disturbing thing is even that um, people have there's some kind of strange whisper campaign. I'm not really sure, but I don't know who. But people are sort of trying to get my other books and projects. You know, not you know. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. And I'm laughing because it's dark. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's very very. It's 1984 type shit. Yeah, this is. I was and just this gonna isn't say, because of anything that you said. This is because you were just on a podcast or wrote for magazine that someone else didn't like something someone else said. Essentially, is, yeah, it's dystopian. This is and so dystopian. I, refuse, just, I won't. I, I keep publishing with places, you know, all different kinds of places, and people seem to have a problem with that. So I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I think. I think it's um it's always interesting to me that the so-called left take mm. their their instinct is to like not only police now but take away like opportunities from mm. someone. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah, I was on the so I was under the understanding that the left is is pro worker and would never sabotage right. the livelihoods of other people. And yet we have now a situation where people who self-proclaim as left have serious doubts about their those affiliations. I think it's totally fake. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's like it, it's it's just so reprehensible that anyone would try and fuck with some other person's livelihood and destroy some try and destroy someone's reputation. I I'm I am of the view, because I know you, Emily, that you know, you are you're so brilliant and your work speaks for itself. You're talented and you're excellent in everything you do. So in the end, you, you know, you will prevail and your work will find the home that, you know, it deserves and will be protected. So their efforts will fail. I know that. And no weapon forged against you shall prevail. <laughs> but <laughs> I like that spell casting. Mary. Yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> Put it out into the ether. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but I just find that, you know, irrespective of that, um, the people who are doing these things and p- participating in whis- whisper campaigns and doing that, it's, it's so shady. You know, if you have a problem with some something I've said, let's make it interesting. Let's go on a podcast. Let's let's right. talk it out. Let's have a debate, you know, and mm-hmm. I can tell you, honestly, I have a problem with X, Y and Z. And that's actually so much more productive. Mm-hmm. Than to have this kind of like culture of silencing and culture of banishment. What does that really achieve? Right. Nothing. You're feeding Nothing. right into it's... the whole problem. Yeah. Not allowing totally dissenting agree. voices, you know. The revolution yeah. does not allow dissenting voices. <laughs> <laughs> But it's actually true. It's exactly how it works, though. You know, I have a lot of people like Marx communists, you know, come on the podcast because of academia and Marx is a theorist and great theories are great. But like at the end of the day, that's what does happen in communist regimes is like, 
you know, it starts out as a revolution until you become the person on top and then you become the dictator and it just happens over and over again. So it's like, you know, if you're not on our side, then then you get put in jail or killed or, you know, exiled, you know, so it's still like, you know, all one way or no way. It's just on the other extreme. It's just on the extreme left instead of the extreme right. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sort of of the opinion that punitive behavior like uh, punitive behaviors of any kind and those those sorts of impulses are should be suspect especially when we're talking about art um but yeah. i don't think art should ever be censored agreed People need to make their art you know and they need to make yeah. it freely however they and if you don't like it that's the other thing if you don't like what someone says don't buy their book don't listen to that podcast. You know, don't subscribe to their <laughs> Substack. Subscribe to Emily's, by the way. It's great. And yes. Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, so don't support that. That's how you fight mm. it. You know, if you don't like it, don't support it. You know, that's put your dollar mm. or whatever in the places that you like. But don't yeah. try to like make that person not be able to exist or make a living or, you know, whatever they're doing isn't that bad. It's like, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> we're, you're not, it's not like a... Yeah. Yeah. It's, I uh, mean, attacking people for things that are way too minor to be attacked on that level. Like, let's focus on the real problem people here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is part of the reason why I released the book into the public domain just for anyone to read for free on my, on my website. I mean, partly because I just wanted to kind of, you know, be free of it. And partly because I was like, well, fuck you. <laughs> Like, I'll just release it, you know, I don't need a, a pub, like a sort of mediator between me and whoever's going to read it. Totally. Hell yeah. And yeah, it's funny because it's not as though the work itself was, I mean, they liked the work that, you know, it's not, it's nothing about the work, which is odd. It's just about, you know, my associations. So it's, it's this interesting, I don't know, uh, kind of xenophobic fear of contamination. Hmm. Yeah, and that's another thing. So say, we all work at a university that's a very, like, free-thinking university that's trying to bring uh, bring education to an afford- at an affordable rate to people all over the world, right? So mm-hmm. if, if people who volunteer to teach there, if not everyone agrees or everyone's on the same side and people have dissenting views that some people don't like, now we're all bad people? <laughs> Oh my gosh. What's that about? <laughs> it's such a slippery slope. That's crazy. It is crazy. crazy right there. I hope they're aware that the thing they're promoting in this silencing culture, this repressive culture, will end up hurting them in the end too. Like this is, you know, this is the thing that they're helping to to, to promote. Like this weariness and paranoia. I mean, my God, the, the the publication that they had a problem with you fraternizing with Emily is one that featured Slavoj Zizek. Yeah, yeah. Right, so now anyone <laughs> featuring Slavoj Zizek is now also contaminated? Yeah, apparently. I don't know if it's not, but yeah. Or Slavoj talked to Jordan Peterson, you know. Right, did he, right. did he lose his endorsements? You know what the I mean? chain of infection, yeah. Because <laughs> he had a debate with someone then probably paid him to come there, you know, come on. Right, Mary, you're, you're right. Yeah. And they, because I didn't say, like, I'm sorry, or I, you know, I renounce or whatever, you know, you know, then it was like, okay, you know, goodbye. 
Yeah, you absolutely should have nothing to be sorry about. It's ridiculous. Nothing to be sorry. It's very cultish behavior demanding for you to like confess your sins and like, you know, whatever. Yeah, repent. Repent. Yeah, repent and be pure again. Like, come on. What what are we doing here? We're all adults. Like, like, why does it even need to be said? I mean, speaking of, you know, Zizek and Peterson, I mean, he did the right thing. He chose a very public, you know, venue, very Mm. public platform to debate Peterson, and he won easily. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. I feel like the people who are so adamant on shutting down and refusing to associate with and like just kind of, as you say, like um, creating this kind of culture of of silence, around, you know, around the person, it's really much more a sign of the weakness of their own arguments that they would rather not have that, that dialogue with you. Because mm. if they were really invested and if they really felt the conviction of their beliefs and they felt they had good arguments to, to you know, to oppose yours, they would talk super openly with you and like, n- nevertheless, not um, remove the professional connection. And also like, uh, keep their end of the bargain contractually and like, you know, make good on, on, on the agreement you had previously to publish a book, for example, it's the fact of this like desperate running away from and shutting down. It's so reactionary. I can't help but think that it's really like a reflection of their, their own knowledge that our argument is flimsy and weak and would not withstand Mm -hmm. a a serious debate, like an objective debate. (laughs) I absolutely agree with you. I was just talking to a friend about this. I think, um, and I think it's so much more like psychoanalytic than people, you know, people act like it's just political or something, but I think there, there is something of the, of evidence of one's own fear, um, or yeah, flimsiness, as you say, of their argument, because I'm thinking like, okay, well, I'm comfortable with how I, (laughs) well, what I think and how I feel and my so-called politics however like dreary that sounds but um so why would I why would I need to denounce or panic or say oh my god I'm sorry you know like I'm comfortable with with my general whatever opinions and the things that I've written you know I think it all holds up so to me their response was very yeah fear-based and just very sudden I mean it was literally a matter of hours it was like very quick oh my god but yeah, I agree. It would be very, it would be really interesting if more people did the Zizek, Jordan Peterson thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have people on the podcast all the time that I don't agree with. And I don't even feel the need to honestly argue with them. My podcast is more about just being like, let's see what different people think, usually having to do a psychoanalysis <laughs> and like show a bunch of different points of views, you know? And I usually talk about the things that I like want to hear more about, which are the things that probably I'm more into or agree with. But like, you know. I don't have to agree with everybody, everything everybody says to have them on the podcast. And some of the ones of the people that I like the least get, I get a lot of people writing saying how much they like that podcast. So I'm like, okay, so people want to hear this stuff. So, you know, so these people are all like professionals. They're all adults. Like you said, they've all come to form their opinions, you know, on their own terms. And like, I'm just going to trust that they're intelligent people that have come to their conclusions because that's that's where their lives have led them, you know, and that's all that matters. 
Right. I think that's a really good point. Like, just because we disagree with people on X, Y, or Z political or social issue doesn't mean we can't have a conversation about something else or just, yeah, like we don't have to fight with that person. It's like that period of time when people were actually like it was somehow radical to like cancel your grandparents, you know, to like like tell them <laughs> tell them what they you know so, you know get them in line on Christmas or something. I'm like, can't we just have Christmas? Yeah, I mean, you're not going to change your grandparents, and I'm not going to change anybody's opinion by arguing with them either. You know, <laughs> that, that that usually just puts people more into their opinion, like gets them rooted deeper if you start yelling at them. You know, so yeah, why don't you just like right, like fight or flight mode? Yeah. So I don't see the point of that. And also, you know, I'm a psychoanalyst, I'm coming from a perspective, I hear all sorts of different people's opinions and thoughts about life, and I can always see their point of view. That's my job is to like see people's point of view and like, you know, kind of support them or ask questions, get them to question certain things or whatever. But it's like you can't be so judgy. Why is everyone so fucking judgy? doesn't go anywhere yeah i mean especially in these arenas we're talking about like film poetry psychoanalysis you know (laughs) we're not having a debate about palestine here you know so like just relax (laughs) 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 for sure for sure (laughs) (laughs) what are your favorite doors songs <laughs> oh gosh emily and i talked about that last time we both came up with the crystal ship off the top of our head i have to say that um you have to watch the doors at the hollywood bowl it's such a good film of their oh. performance and yeah jim is just so fine so i highly recommend that whole concert the end of course mm-hmm. what's your favorite mary love me two times nice <laughs> and i actually really like the soft parade album which now that I've, I've read more about them apparently that was just like a mishmash of things that they put together because like jim was always drunk and like they couldn't get good <laughs> recordings and everything their band was falling apart and stuff like that so they just kind of like edited together this is like different pieces from different sessions that they had but I really like the soft parade. So people apparently think it's their worst album, but I I, I like it. I like it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking since I've been reading this Jim Morrison book. Thank you, by the way, Vanessa. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I've been thinking about what Joan Didion um, wrote about them she do you, have you guys read that portion of her i forget i think it's in the white mm, the white that would make sense yeah i'm pretty sure but she sort of has this section where she talks about um the doors and being with them in in the recording studio and everyone kind of like waiting for jim to come in she was very taken with the doors she they were like her her favorite um she liked the sort of sex, death, bad boy aspect of it. Yeah, we need more sex, death poets. That's it right there. <laughs> <laughs> they're out there. I guess they're just not like, maybe they're not very online. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or real. They're definitely not in academic circles. Mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> 
opposite <laughs> vibe. Kind of an impotent withered vibe. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually just just thinking, like, if Heath Ledger had not passed mm-hmm. away, he would have been a great, like, contemporary actor to play Jim Morrison. I think. Oh wow! And the Batman, the Batman, right? Batman. Yes, absolutely. Oh, Heath. Hmm. I know. I always think of him. I know. <laughs> so, such a waste. <laughs> yeah, no, he was good. So many, so many actors died mm. from these fucking pharmaceutical pills. Yeah, things. yeah. It's tragic. So many people. Period. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this Barbie Oppenheimer weekend? Since we have a film person here, Mary. <laughs> Well, I mean, I hate to disappoint. I still haven't seen either one. Oh, I'm excited to hear what you think. I haven't seen either one either. I mean, I will be going because I'm going to review them like just, you know, top line, just top line reaction review episode for Patreon. So I am curious to see. And I do love a good summer blockbuster, but I don't know. I'm kind of just basing myself on the trailers I feel like I will probably appreciate Oppenheimer more as a film. I'm not sure what the Barbie movie is mar- is being marketed as or or to whom. Um, Seems like it's being marketed to literally everyone. Yeah, they have <laughs> things for everyone in there and all age age ranges. <laughs> yeah, I oh, saw man. both. I saw Barbie oh. on Friday and Oppenheimer on Sunday. Well, you know, Mary, we have this tiny, teeny, tiny cinema here, and it's basically like. Carl and I go to any movie we can just to keep the cinema open because we're just so happy that it opened again. Yes. And so, like, our bar for, like, what movie we'll see has gone very, very low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we'll basically see anything that's not, like, you know, a Swedish children's movie, you know. Or, like, we, we won't go to the superhero movies either for the most part because we're just both kind of depressed about, like, how that's all the movies that come out. But other than that, we've seen basically anything. So we saw Mission Impossible. And I've never I never really went to popular movies like this before, really in my life. I mean, maybe when I was a little kid and saw like Ghostbusters and stuff, but like not as an adult. So this is very new for me. But I must say it's fun. Once you I once I get over the initial dread of how like things that people think are so good, I just really don't think are that great. It's like they're good, but it's like, really, is this like worth billions of dollars? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. <laughs> but once I get through that kind of existential crisis, and then the, the Carl and I were talking about like the whole like the fact that Barbie and Oppenheimer, like, what do these things represent? Right? It's like the atom bomb, and then like fucking Barbie, and this is like the biggest thing of the summer, and it's just like Carl's like this. We really live in end times, you know. <laughs> kind of perfect symbol for end times here but i love that it got uh everybody to the cinema like it's the biggest cinema weekend in a really long time like since before the pandemic right so i think that's great if people are going to the cinema that makes me happy 
And I thought they were both fun. I mean, mm. Oppenheimer wasn't fun, but it was like a well-made film. Uh, it's very American. It's all like court cases. It's like takes places, his court case and stuff like that. So it's like mm. very American, typical kind of drama, suspense, whatever. Guys, you know, doing science and blowing things up in the military, you know, it's like, okay. <laughs> but um, but anyways, well-made film. Christopher Nolan makes good films, you know technically good films and uh and barbie was kind of fun it had something for everyone like the feminists and like every kind of person and like every age range i mean even the indigo girls was in there i'm like where did the indigo girls come from it's like uh yeah like going back to the <laughs> 90s here girl band it was uh yeah it was funny i think ryan gosling was i to me he was like one of the best parts of the whole movie because I just think he was a hilarious Ken. Like he just was so funny in his dudeness. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So that's my non-film person assessment. <laughs> Movies are entertaining. They were entertaining. That's what they're supposed to be, right? Yeah, I was for sure. Yeah, I do like the culture of a summer blockbuster, you know, where you can have this kind of escapist fun like non-pretentious just like a bit of fluff it's it's all good yeah yeah Oppenheimer was pretty pretentious that's for sure (laughs) yeah yeah I won't say that and also like when you see when you see a bunch of people like cheer that they like made an atom bomb blow up yeah you know it's pretty disturbing you're like really guys you know (laughs) like wow that's fucked up but that's just history you know he's just showing what happened but it is it is disturbing as it ought to be. Uh, I definitely I have I, I I had I felt more empathy for Oppenheimer before I saw the movie because mm. I had always thought of him as this like person who was like put in a bad position and like had to make these like scientists whose like work was like abused by the government kind of thing. But then after watching the movie, it's like he wholeheartedly like jumped into that shit. He was like, yeah, let's go. So like now I have like no empathy for him. Like, mm. yeah, what an asshole. So mm. yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm uh I'm gonna see them um soon. And I hope I didn't give any spoilers. No, no. No. <laughs> I knew about the bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler, <laughs> there's an atom bomb that goes off and kind of sucks. Yeah. I'm a little bit, I'm excited for the Barbies, you know, the pink and the crazy design of it all. I'm like, I'm very, um, not a huge Greta Gerwig person. Mm, same. But, yeah. <laughs> same. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Not, me? not a fan of Greta Gerwig. <laughs> no, I was I not really either. <laughs> Like at all because I'm also very suspicious yeah. because I've heard like I mean I I watch a lot of interviews with mm. uh, with celebrities as a kind of um weird purgatorial practice or something <laughs> and I'm very fascinated by them but I've heard like literally five people from the movie in some way related to the movie via interviews say that it's it was the best script they have ever read. Okay. Like verbatim, like everyone has said that. And I'm like, really? Mm-mm. So clearly they, I guess they want us to know that, that the script is, that Greta did an amazing job with the script. I would say it had funny parts. Okay, it had so funny you, parts. You weren't blown away by the script. 
No, I mean, I know what they're talking about because they do. They actually get very, Barbie gets very political and they try to like talk about feminism and women's rights mm. and stuff like that. And, like, I guess to like, counteract the fact that they're making a film about Barbie, you know, that's like uh, sponsored by Mattel. So it's like, I guess it's fine that they put that in there. But I think also they could, I think that you could do those things a little more subtly. Like there's a lot of like, you know, what the patriarchy is like versus like feminism in there already without having to lay it out. So like much in the script, in the actual speaking, you know, you can kind of show, Mm -hmm. I feel like you can show dynamics and shift dynamics in movies without having to say that's what you're doing with words. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just wish they would make more films that just actually like, if you want more representation, then just like have more representation and like write better scripts that are more dynamic. Don't keep the same boring, like little love story rom-com thing, but just putting different kinds of people in it. You know, like, why don't we get a little more complex in our story writing Hollywood? Yeah. Like didactic. Yeah. I think, I think that's the case with a lot of movies now, a lot of art in general. Yeah, like the same thing with conceptual art. That's why I don't like it. It's like, like I know someone who went to art school in, in back to the identity thing in New York, and they told her when she would make her art, you know, you're not saying anything about like your identity in your art. And she was like, well, I don't really want to talk about that. Like, well, you have to at least like, you know, talk about being a woman or something. And she's like, why? Like, why can't I just make art, you know? But it was actually like in the school program, like required that you like conceptualize your work through like identity politics. Mm. And that to me makes no sense. Like you can do that if you want, but people shouldn't have to do that. And like, also if you just make, you know, I love the unconscious. If you just make art more unconsciously and like be in your process, Mm. it's going to say a lot about you that you probably didn't even know you were saying about yourself and isn't that the point of your artist to kind of learn just like the psychoanalytic process you learn about what you think and are and feel through the processes of making your art or through the process of speaking and doing your analysis you shouldn't like go in with the preconceived idea of what you want to say ahead of time you know it should be more about like learning mm-hmm. at least in my conception of art so I really like art artists and art that does that rather than like artists who sit down and are like, I want to make this statement. Cause to me, that just ends up being contrived because you're not, if you're not really letting yourself and your unconscious mm. speak, like, what are you, what are you hiding or what are you trying not to say? Or what are you uncomfortable with about yourself that you don't want to look at? Like, I want people to get in the dirt and the mud and like, yeah, yeah. work that way more. Be yeah. I mean, I can't help but think based on what you're saying is that this whole approach of being so, overly attached to immutable characteristics and identity is precisely a defense mechanism, you know, completely like negating the possibility that you will have like a dark night of the soul or an honest confrontation with yourself. So it's just, it's all like, you know, maybe even unconsciously motivated, but nevertheless, it's all like hyper-controlled, hyper-premeditated and like you already know the outcome you know the 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 end product and that is a way to like alleviate the anxiety of not knowing actually like alleviate the possibility of stumbling across something god forbid problematic guys (laughs) yeah but it's like the problematic is the very like artificial you know is the very like 
uh, material of of psychoanalysis. It is the very mat- raw material and desired um, sort of uh, raw energy of the analytic setting where you are considering the slip, you know, the thing that is a crack or, um, you know, the irrational. And so art should also reflect that. And it should be like truly like um, repeating, remembering and working through, just like Freud said. Um, But it seems like that is too messy and it's too wrinkly and dirty for uh, a culture that desires to be um, pristine for some reason. Mm. Yep. Preach, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) You ladies bring it it out of me. I'm like... (laughs) Me too. I love it. It's really good. Okay, are we going to get canceled from this podcast? (laughs) Well, I mean... You're probably... But Mary, we're associating with Emily. Yeah, Uh you guys are done. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Now we're we're infected. (laughs) You you ladies are going to find yourself... being demanded to give answers for why you appeared with me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, You know, hopefully. Do you denounce Mary Wilde and all she stands for? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I can't. (laughs) I can't. (laughs) Is there anything else that we wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about? Oh, yeah. What are we talking about? Mary, do you want to talk about your book? Yeah, let's talk uh, about your book. I think we were talking about that before we started recording. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just in the process of writing a book on psychoanalysis and horror cinema. Um, and I'm sort of 70% of the way through, getting close to the end now. But it's been like a new process for me. This is my first book. I've never really been like that literary. I'm just like, like I've said before, you know, I'm, I, I lecture and podcast and I watch movies. I'm a watcher and a talker, not a reader and a writer. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it's it's good to push yourself outside your comfort zone and like test yourself in different scenarios. So, um, it's good to be, you know, practicing this this um, fucking agonizing skill of writing. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> and um, and uh, the utmost respect for both to, to both of you, ladies, who are you know uh, authors several times over, and you are uh, regular regulars in this practice. Uh, hats off to you. Um, but hopefully I'll be finished by November and it'll be out hopefully next year. Amazing. And that's what do you have a title? Rich. Yeah. The title is, I kept keeping it super simple. It's going to be psychoanalyzing horror cinema. That's it. Beautiful. Perfect. <laughs> and Emily, what are you working on? You're as I said, Substack is fantastic. And your Alchemy of the Word class, it's fantastic, as you know, and going through that. And actually, your Substack, I was thinking when we were talking about Jim's poetry, it's kind of reminiscent of this kind of vibe. I know. I was mm-hmm. I was feeling mad kinship with Jim when I was reading this. Um, and shocked that I had never read any of his poems. I've just listened to his music. Um yeah, I mean, I have a, a class coming up, actually, uh, part of like a yearly series I do called Void of Courses, where um kind of playing off of the void of course uh, lunar phenomenon when the moon kind of goes off grid and 
and is lost. Um, it's a once a month series. This time it'll be focusing on uh, like the archetypes of the astrological signs once per month. Um, and it's not recorded. And it's just like a, usually a cool group of people who, um, you know, we just like learn about a sign together and write about it. And it's supposed to be kind of generative and, you know, hopefully a little bit of like a sacred space because there's nothing, um, there's no one watching us. <laughs> Yeah, it's nice when it's ephemeral like that and not recorded. Yeah, people like have to show up. Um, yeah, so that's what's coming up in August, end of August. And um, yeah, I don't know, just like Substack stuff. And I'm working on another, I'm working on a novel right now. I'm finishing it. Um, that's been a nice, like hellish experience. Um, is this yeah. your first time writing fiction? This is, um, yeah, I've written like stories and I one time attempt, like attempted a novel, but sort of scrapped it. But this is the first one I've finished. Oh, so it's finished. You're just like editing. Yeah. Oh, that's very exciting. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Really cool. (laughs) Yeah. And as as everyone knows, I've been working on a cut up novel and I'm actually, so I'm plugging Emily here too. Emily's an astrologer, and if you're an artist or a writer, she actually has, like, specific readings to help you work on your project. So I am bringing my cut-up novel. I've already been working with it through the Alchemy of the Word course. I worked on it with Saturn and the Moon, as suggested by Emily in our last astrology reading. And then uh, next, we're going to do whenever you open up for bookings again, which I think is next week or the week after. It's coming up soon. I've been checking yep. your calendar. Yes, <laughs> um, yeah. Then we're going to get into, you're going to be the first person to re, to look at it ex- beside my husband. I don't have, the way I'm doing it now, because the Saturn got me so into the Saturn vibe, it's like now I'm going so slow. Like before <laughs> it was like really cutting it up and moving things around. And now I'm going like so slow and deliberately that I'm like not laying down another like paragraph unless I'm like, sure that I want it there and I keep editing it and rewriting it and rereading it until I decide it's like perfect and then I go (laughs) on to the next one so like you're not gonna get like the full book but you wouldn't be able to read that anyway so I figure wherever I'm at when the reading is then you could just read that section and see let me know what you think and the only person who's seen any of it is Carl so oh I'm so excited it's this is art being vulnerable this is my vulnerable Mm. art Mm. love it I feel Honored. exposed, yeah. which I think is what how you should feel when you're making art. <laughs> yes, definitely. So check out Emily's astrology readings and courses and Mary's Patreon, where she has every <laughs> week a new content, almost every week a new yeah. And uh, yeah, really good content. Would you say this last class, Ford class is 94, 95 episodes on there? So like, there's plenty to go through to keep you busy. Thank for a you. Long time. <laughs> Thank so good. you. That was a great class, by the way. Do you have another one lined up with the Freud Museum? Um, I'm not on their books yet, but we're planning something for hopefully like November. Um, I have to, they sort of asked me to reformat uh, the horror course that I teach for them every year around Halloween. So mm-hmm. they have a new format for them. But the one that I just delivered on neurosis on film, I'm actually going to be transferring 
um, most of that into like a Patreon episode. So if anybody missed that Freud one, they'll have a chance to hear it on Patreon. Yeah, that could be a few Patreon episodes. Yeah, there was a lot there. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. I love your Thank choices. You. Thank As you. I, wrote, I love Harold and Maude, so it was really fun to look at that movie. Yeah, such a good film. Oh, my God. That they were all good. It was a good selection, as Thank always. You. Thank you. And then we have on August 20th, we're doing Morbid Anatomy. Yes, so excited. Yes, absolutely. The, the decaying, decaying female, female body. Yes. In so excited. Cinema. So we'll have Halloween early. Yes. <laughs> Such a fun topic because I get to show the most disgusting scenes ever. On yeah. <laughs> Mary presented this uh, for us as part of our psychoanalysis art in the occult conference in October last year. And it was like, it was like, I was just like having a ball watching this because it's like Mary shows these like things of people like it's like cannibal, auto cannibalism, right? People like eating their own face or whatever. <laughs> and then Mary comes on and she's like, da, 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 da. And like a particular beautiful voice talking about now Steve is feeling free. Uh, here's Kasteva's theory of objection. Da, 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 da. It was just like, I was dying, dying. That was, I think, were you the first? Yeah, you opened the conference. So it was just like, I oh my God. That. It was amazing. It was amazing. Cheers. Set the, set, set the stage for us. Positive yeah. Mary. Standard Mary. Yeah, it's just great. So, like, who can do this but Mary? Like, pull this off. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Well, it was so nice to have you both here. Thank you we'll so have much. To ch- chat about forbidden taboo topics again soon. Oh yes, we can do it every couple times a year. Starting a like a series. What is the name of our series? Oh. Cursed, cursed cultural objects. Yes, cursed, cursed cultural cultural objects. Yes, for real. We can add contaminated there. Oh my god. Yeah, but you have to talk about the taboo. Mm-hmm. Always. Can't be always. all surface all the time. That's no good. No, I gotta keep it real here. Gotta get in the dirt. <laughs> Auto cannibalism, yeah. etc. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's such a pleasure to talk to you, ladies. You always sort of restore my faith in in the world. Uh in this, seriously, like so much respect and love for both of you. I really admire you as thinkers, as friends. So it's so nice to be able to talk to both of you on a recording. Yeah, and we'll do it again when you're done with your book, Mary. Love to. I'd love to. Thank you. All right. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Emily Rousseau and Mary Wilde. Join Mary and I this Sunday, August 20th, for The Decaying Female Body in Horror Cinema via morbidanatomy.org events. See you there. As always, huge thanks to Carl Abrahamson for providing the intro and outro music for Rendering Unconscious Podcast. You can check out all things Carl at his main website, carlabrahamson.com.
And now the song Sex in the Confessional from the album of the same title by me and Pete Murphy, available at Pete's Bandcamp as well as streaming on Spotify and other streaming services. You can visit petemurphy.bandcamp.com. Enjoy. All writing is in fact cut-ups, a collage of words read, heard, overheard. All cut-ups is a collage of fact, overheard, words, read, writing, heard, all read words collage fact of writing over cut-ups is fucking is heard is is heard is cut up is cut is cut is cut is cut is cut sex in the confessional is cut is cut the flesh in the confessional is cut is cut lurid desire in the confessional is cut aroused in the confessional is cut is cut a naked woman in the confessional is cut It's hot. It's hot. 